Before we get going with this week's show, a word from our friends at Sam Houston Race Park, and make sure you get down on the final few days at Sam Houston Race Park. The thoroughbred meeting ends on April 9th. That's this week. Make sure that you get involved with all the action at Sam Houston Race Park for all the details. More information available at SHRP.com. Now on to episode 110 of the pod. What's happening? Welcome into the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, April the 4th, 2022. It is Masters Week, and this is episode 110 of the pod. However you listen, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com. You can also find over on YouTube. Search bar, Matt Bernier Show. You get this show. You get the 109 episodes prior. And... While you're over there, click on the In The Money Media link there. You get the, the homepage, and then you can subscribe. Make sure that bell icon's lit up. That way you'll get notified anytime new content is uploaded to the In The Money Media channel. There's all sorts of good stuff. This show goes up there weekly. The Players Pod goes up there weekly, and there's going to be some more stuff coming. So be sure you're subscribed over there. And if, again, you're somebody that just likes to listen to the audio, I get it. Driving around in the car, doing some work at home, doing some chores, whatever it may be. Make sure you subscribe. Give us a review However you listen, little little rating thing, one through five, whatever it may be, all that stuff. It's greatly appreciated. I keep looking up because I'm taking a look. I got to cover the uh, Crystal Palace and Arsenal game. Bet on Palace to win. They're up 2-0, second half. Neither here nor there. Uh, this week's show, we're going to dive into the big preps that we saw this past weekend from the Kentucky Derby. The Florida Derby, the Arkansas Derby, briefly touch on the Jeff Ruby stakes and some of the other stakes action that happened all across the country. And as I'll say in that segment, and just giving the heads up, audio is a little bit funky in there. I have this one connection that when I connect my camera and record at the same time, the audio gets a little staticky. Producer Craig, though, I have the utmost faith that he can work a little bit of magic and clean it up some. That's the only piece. It's like six or seven minutes. The rest of the pod, clean as a whistle, no problem. So we'll talk about some stakes action there. If there are any horses that you want to hear about that I didn't talk about, or just anything in general, you can leave a comment beneath the video player. And I'll get to it at some point. I'm trying to think of when we'll do sort of a, a cleanup show. Probably be in two weeks' time. Uh, also, recording this on Monday, the day of the national championships. Many of you won't you won't hear this by the time the game is played. I tweeted it out. I'll continue to tweet it out. But 80 to 73 is my projection for the Kansas Jayhawks to win the national championship. I think they're going to cover the four points. I bet that thing immediately on Saturday night following that UNC Duke. Uh, just unreal game. How often does a game that is hyped the way that it was live up to expectations? I thought the first half was, you know, all the boys involved were a little bit on the uh, stiff side. But that second half just opened up. It was fantastic. Uh, and we will wrap up this week's show with a little bit of Masters talk because it is Masters week. Um, sounds like Tiger Woods is going to play, which is bananas, playing with a Frankenstein leg. Um, so we'll see what happens, but we'll talk a little bit about the Masters, maybe some logical players, maybe a, a price or two if uh, that is your cup of tea. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. We'll talk first about the Florida Derby, won by White Abario. What does it mean going forward for him and some of the horses that ran behind him, transition into the Arkansas Derby, and then kind of pick up the pieces for the rest of the stakes action that uh, wasn't covered already. So here we go, Florida Derby. Let's dive into the Florida Derby. White Abario wins the two races that he runs in graded stakes down there at Gulfstream Park. He comes out victorious. 
He's clearly the best of the South Florida lot. He earns a very competitive number. Backs up the 97 that he earned two starts back with a 96 buyer here. I believe from a time form standpoint, it was somewhere around 114. So those numbers more or less check out. Charge it, runs second, earns a 93 in his third lifetime start. Simplification, a 92. And then you've got a, a fair gap back to Papa Cap and everyone else. Let's start with the winner, White Barrio. You know, I, I tweeted after the race on Saturday that I will be very surprised if this race does anything as far as the Derby is concerned. And watching the tape a little bit more, I still feel that way. I could be totally wrong, uh, but of the group, I think at this stage right now, White Barrio is clearly the most professional, the most well put together. Um, Tyler Gaffleone, I tweeted it on Monday afternoon. I thought it was a fantastic ride. Yes, carried a little bit of ground going into the first turn, but bigger picture, you kept in arguably the horse to beat. If you weren't, not to take anything away from simplification, we'll get to him in a moment, but Charge It was the fresh face, the one that, who knows what the ceiling was. Inexperienced, taking on winners for the first time, going out to two turns for the first time. For Gaffalione and White Abario to basically box him in for the duration of the run. They get into the far turn. Now Luis Saez and Charge It have to split horses, going the second turn for the first time in the horse's career. And Tyler is able to get the jump, goes on with it, opens up. And maybe if you want to say Charge It runs in a straight line, he get, at least gets close to Wojta Barrio at the wire. He didn't. And I, I just thought it was a really, really great ride going back and watching the tape again. I thought Gaffalione did everything brilliantly and give Safi Joseph credit. This is a horse that has had little hiccups leading into his prep races, and he's still been able to overcome that. So it, don't get me wrong. When I'm saying I don't think this is necessarily a Kentucky Derby horse, it doesn't mean that I think he's a bum. I think he's a good horse. I, I think he's the best of a mediocre group of Derby horses. Now, that doesn't mean that down the road they're not going to continue to improve. I'm personally dubious about the first Saturday in May, but White Abario's done nothing wrong in his entire career. He's, what, won four of his five lifetime starts. His only loss was a third behind Smile Happy in the Kentucky Jockey Club. And Smile Happy, we'll find out what he does in the bluegrass on Saturday. But he could be one of the favorites, if not the favorite, depending on what he does, in the Kentucky Derby. So White Abario has done nothing wrong in his career. I'm a little bit curious about where, what I think his, what his game is going forward all of these horses in the florida derby crawled home that's a fact they they staggered home the fastest final eighth in the race was steel sunshine who came home in 1393 second fastest was charge it and we saw him you know goofy running all over the place looking around he's because he had never done it before nothing more than him getting a little bit tired and going what are we doing here he came home in 1395 White Barrio came home in 1409, Simplification 1446, Papa Cap 1480. Those are your top four finishers. Yes, they went extremely fast. They really turned it up in that interior half. So basically the second quarter and the third quarter, uh, you have a horse like Charge It. Well, let's let's use White Barrio, who basically went, what, a shade under 47 for that half, that internal half. I mean, they really turned it up a bit and all the horses paid the price down the lane. My concern is you're, you're going to be chasing a pace that's relatively comparable, if not faster, in the Kentucky Derby. And how are you going to then navigate an extra eighth of a mile? So when I bring it back to White Abario, I'm going to be curious to see what his future is. 
Because deep down, I don't know that I look at him as a mile and a quarter horse. I don't even know if I really look at him as a mile and an eighth horse. He's by race day out of an into mischief mare. I kind of like the idea of him as a miler. Unfortunately for he and, and sort of all the three-year-olds that may end up being a little bit more miler than, you know, mile and a quarter type, you really don't have any options as a three-year-old to run in a mile race. You figure you're, you're very unlikely to turn him back to any of these distances. He's got his points. He deserves to go to the Kentucky Derby. But beyond that, let's say it doesn't work out for him for whatever reason. Either he's not good enough or he has a miserable trip or this, that, or the other. If you're thinking down the road, mile and an eighth races, whether it's Monmouth for the Haskell or the Pennsylvania Derby, those certainly make sense. But if the mile and a quarter proves too demanding, well, then in all likelihood, a mile and three sixteenths in the Preakness is going to be too demanding. Mile and a half in the Belmont certainly out of the question. Are you going to turn them all the way back to seven eighths? Are you going to be looking at races like the H. Allen Jerkins? Um, let's say you want to run on the Belmont Stakes undercard. If he, Again, this is all assuming he doesn't get the distance. Are you going to run in the Woody Stevens? That's a pretty big turn back going from a mile and a quarter to seven eighths. It's just a bigger point is it, it, you're in a really difficult spot if you have a horse that ends up being a bit of a tweener as a three-year-old. Older horses, you got more options. Uh, three-year-olds, especially early on in the season, you're a little bit limited. This horse has done nothing to suggest that they shouldn't go on to the Derby. Just giving you my opinion. I'm a little concerned about an extra eighth of a mile when it looked like, just based on the clock anyway, that you could have timed it with a sundial. And the pace is probably going to be comparable, if not faster, in the Kentucky Derby, given the other horses that figured to enter in the race. Uh, but White Abardo has done nothing wrong. I thought he was the best in the race, and I thought he got a great ride from Tyler Gaffalione. And again, credit to Safi Joseph for having the horse ready after a little bit of a hiccup. Little temp, needed to give him a minute, came back with his blowout, and he goes on and wins the race. Charge it. I like Charge it coming into the race. I thought, in the grand scheme of things, I thought he ran well inexperienced horse. I was a little disappointed that he was outrun early as he was. Louis had to get all, you know, really scrubbed on him and he still couldn't really get up there with the pace setters. Uh, but when you look at it in totality, for him to be in behind horses, take dirt for the first time, and then come with a run. And if he keeps a straight line, he probably at least gets close to White of Barrio. But he's drifting about. He's tired. He's green. The whole nine. I thought it was a good effort. My concern would be, and this is just my opinion, he has his points. I believe he's 14th right now in the list. And maybe, who knows, maybe something crazy happens. And next weekend, he ends up getting bumped. I don't think he will, but you never know. My fear right now would be that if you like him on talent, like I do, I think he has an immense amount of ability. And I think he could be among the best three-year-olds of the lot. Taking on 19 other horses in, in four weeks' time, I would be very concerned about that as I'm throwing pens. I'd be really, really nervous about that with a horse like this that seems like he needs some more experience, needs to learn some more stuff. That's a big ask for a horse that you don't that you think could be something bigger and better. So I tweeted this as well, and I have no idea if they would even consider this. I would go to the Peter Pan from here. Give him a little bit of time. You figure he's run three times in three months. Give him a little bit of a breather here. 
I believe the Peter Pan is run uh, the week after the Derby. So he gets five more weeks. Give him a little breather. Get him up to Belmont Park. I know it's a one-turn mile and an eighth, which I would prefer two turns, but not the end of the world. You run him in that spot. In theory, it's going to be against softer company because he's not going to be taking on the horses that are running in the Kentucky Derby. I think he can get a little bit more experience that way. He's already shown that he's willing to overcome taking dirt. And then you can stretch him out four weeks later, or five weeks later, whatever it is, to the Belmont. At a mile and a half distance, I don't think it's going to be an issue for him. Yes, he was tired here, but again, a lot thrown at him in a short amount of time. Uh, that's how I would handle him. And then you plot out your summer campaign. The Travers would, you know, in theory, be the spot that you'd be targeting. I think he's a good horse. I don't know that he's ready for the Kentucky Derby. Uh, but, you know, from a talent standpoint, he's paired up by our tops of 93. You'd think he's going to move forward from here. Um, I just, I would like for him to be as sort of green as he was. I think I would prefer to see a little more racing, but he's got his points and I can't fault anybody that says, look, he's earned his spot in the Kentucky Derby starting gate. We're going to go. Simplification in a, in a funny way. This is the race that I've actually liked the most from him. He was professional. Yes, that, that, that probably wasn't ideal to go right out to the front and press Classic Causeway, who will be the last horse that I talk about. Uh, but he changed leads on cue. He stayed on. I thought he showed a little bit of, of fight at the end, despite, you know, getting swallowed up by the other two. He didn't totally pack it in. I think he's a good horse. I don't think he's a superstar. Um, I like that, again, this is the most professional he's been in his entire career. And I think that's a positive sign. I'm just, I don't think he's as good right now as White Abario is. And if I don't love White Abario for the Kentucky Derby, how could I possibly like simplification for the race? Uh, he's another one. If you're just purely looking at buyers, and I've brought up the fact that I thought the Fountain of Youth number could be a little bit on the high side, well, he's not getting faster. His second lifetime start, he earned a 92 buyer. The Florida Derby, he earned a 92. If that Fountain of Youth is four or five points too high, he earned a 92 or a 91. The Holy Bull, he earned a 91. The Mucho Macho Man, he earned a 90. He's a nice horse, but he's really not getting any better. And at this time of year, leading into the Kentucky Derby, that that's kind of a difficult thing for me to look at and say, we have a, we have a good sample size now for this time of year for what these horses are. And for him to not be moving up he's not moving down but he's not getting better it, it becomes a difficult scenario for me to envision him truly being a factor the first saturday in may i think he's a nice little horse um part of me would prefer the pat day mile that won't happen i'm sure but i think he may be better suited for a race like that than the Kentucky Derby. But again, if you've got your points, you've earned your spot. There's no reason not to go, um, especially for, and it's easy for me to say this. I'm not an owner. I'm not someone who would be going down that path of the experience and the whole nine. I, I understand that entirely. And and it would be one thing if you backdoored your way in. I mean, he has earned points in all of the races at Gulfstream that you can earn points for the Derby. So based on that alone, have at it. I just think he'd have a better chance of winning a race like the Pat Day Mile than he does the Kentucky Derby. And the last horse I'll talk about from the Florida Derby is Classic Causeway. Classic Causeway, they didn't need to come here. Um, he must have just been kicking the, the stall down, saying, I'm ready to go. 
He did what he did at Tampa, broke right on top, went right to the front. The fractions might have been a little bit on the quick side, uh, but he dropped anchor bad. And I, I tell you what, I, I don't know what you do with him now because let's say this was nothing more than we just want to get a get a work into him. I still think you wanted to see more than that. He didn't have to win the race, but for him to just completely stop, maybe he hated Goldstream Park. Maybe he found, you know, the, the conditions a little bit difficult. But when you look and see that the top four finishers three quarters of the way into the race or at the three quarter mark were third, fourth, second, and first. The only one of the top five that's not close is classic causeway. And he finished last. Um, boy, I, I would, I would think long and hard before going to the Derby with him because you know, his running style, he's going to go and he's going to have to deal with epicenter. He's going to have to deal with forbidden kingdom He's going to have to deal with early voting, perhaps. We'll see what happens in the wood on Saturday. I mean, there's, there's a... <sighs> Draw up the scenario in which he wins. In your head. If you can do it, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube. Because in my head, I'm seeing... Okay, great. Let's, let's say how, somehow you put away Forbidden Kingdom. Great. Then you got to hold off Epicenter. Say you hold him off. Great. Then you've got to deal with White Abario, or you've got to deal with Charge It, or you've got to deal with Smile Happy, or Zandon if he gets in, or Emmanuel if he gets in, because it sounds like he's going to run on Saturday at Keeneland. You got to hold off Messier. I mean, is he really going to be able to do all that after this performance? I don't know. That That's up to you. I would have a very difficult time saying that to myself with a straight face. Now, I don't know if the Pat Day Mile is any better for him either. I almost would say, if he were my horse, let's regroup, give him some time, even if he's ready for the Kentucky Derby, as far as fitness is concerned, things like that. Let's wait. Let's wait for the Preakness. Or maybe we catch some of these horses off of the Derby effort. If we think this was just a bad day for him, fine. But you know that your game will play at Pimlico. Cut him loose the minute you get out of the gate. Go right to the front. Again, maybe you're catching some of these three-year-olds on short notice. Just a two-week turnaround. Coming off of what will be the hardest race of most of theirs, if not all their careers, no matter how long they run. I would be thinking with Classic Causeway, the Preakness. <laughs> so to... In summation, I don't know that I like any of these horses for the Kentucky Derby. White Abario to me right now is the best of the bunch. Charge it, I think, has the most potential down the road, but I'd run him in the Peter Pan and then the Belmont. Simplification, I think, is a nice horse, but just nice. He's not getting any better right now. I'd run him in the Pat Day Mile as opposed to the Derby, although he's got the points. And Classic Causeway, although he has points to get into the Derby, I would wait for the Preakness. Let me know if you think I'm an idiot. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt, as far as a derby prep rating is concerned, the final one for the South Florida path to Louisville this year, I'm giving this a five. I'm dubious overall about the Kentucky Derby for these horses. I think there is some ability, but I just don't know that a mile and a quarter is going to be what the majority of this field wants down the road. Charge it to me is the one who will want it. Everyone else, I'm a little unsure overall.
Let me know again what you think beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now let's shift our attention to Arkansas and talk about their marquee event for the entire meet, the grade one Arkansas Derby. Cyberknife wins the grade one Arkansas Derby for Brad Cox and Florent Giroux. This was a, a much improved effort for a horse that I, I didn't love coming into this race. Talked about it when I handicapped the race last Monday that he had some stuff that he needed to iron out. And I wasn't blown away by the fairgrounds efforts. Uh, I was a little bit concerned about what we're doing as far as Lasix off. Is he still going to be able to produce an effort like he did winning that allowance race back in the middle of February? I mean, he was much the best in this race. When you consider the way the race was run and that move that Florent Giroux made down the backside, splitting horses, getting himself into a position where rather than get stuck in a box, let me just use a little bit and hope that we've got enough left, but let me at least make sure I have an opportunity to run as opposed to just getting jacked up and behind horses. Uh, I thought it was a great move. Now, I don't know if I think that this is a Kentucky Derby horse. He looked fantastic. And when you really go through and you look at it from an incremental standpoint, I mean, he was close to a hot pace. Early fractions, 22, 46, and 2 for the half. Cyberknife is pretty damn close to both of those. In the big picture, I know he's fourth at both calls, but you figure he's only, what, two, four off of it at the opening quarter, and then at the half-mile call, he's only a length and a half, two lengths off of it. So, I mean, he's, he's within shouting distance of a really, really swift pace. And for him to be able to finish the way that he did and take a look and see who ran second and third, Barber Road and Secret Oath, at that same point, are last and second to last, I think it speaks volumes about the effort that Cyberknife put forth. Speed figure-wise, he's got some to find. He just does. He earned a 92 buyer. I believe he earned a 114 time form US rating. You know, if you want to look at him and say he is an up-and-comer, he's a horse that maybe this, maybe you just saw the light bulb go on for him. Maybe we just saw him take a giant step forward and you're going to get the exact same thing leading into Louisville. Then he does become mildly intriguing. You're going to need at least, I would think, an 8 to 10 point forward move from here, which is not insignificant. I think you need to get up into the low 100 range to have a chance to win this year's Derby. Because I, I understand some other folks don't necessarily agree with this. I think it's a pretty decent group of three-year-olds. Maybe a little bit top-heavy, but the good ones, I think, are, are really good. Cyberknife may actually fit into that category. On numbers right now, he doesn't, but based on that, visually, I thought he looked really good. Now, this is where it becomes very difficult to make an assessment. It's the same thing with Doppelganger. We'll talk about momentarily. I said on Monday, just because he ran second behind Forbidden Kingdom in the San Felipe didn't mean that he ran well. Someone had to run second, but I was willing to just acknowledge that maybe he did run really, really well, and we would see him put another foot forward in this race. With Cyberknife, did he run an extremely good race? Yeah, he ran really well. Was the final margin of victory a product of who was behind him more than anything? What I'm saying is if you take Cyberknife and you put him in the Florida Derby, where you take Cyberknife and you put him in the Louisiana Derby. Does he... It's difficult to say, does he win? But where do you think he finishes? I think this race probably puts him right there with White Abario in the Florida Derby. And I don't think this race wins the Louisiana Derby. I think it probably puts him in that next flight of horses with the Zozos 
and with the pioneer of Medina's. Good. Doesn't make me think Kentucky Derby winner. Uh, but this was far and away the best he's looked, in my opinion. Barbara Road comes along to finish second. Barbara Road is just a, a cash or a check cashing machine, I should say. Um, he really hasn't run a bad race in his career. He's a, he's a neat little horse. To me, he feels like the ideal underneath key. He's going to be 40 to 1 in the Derby, which is probably an underlay from a win standpoint. But why can't he run third or fourth to round out your super at a giant price? That's the only place I would even consider using him. I don't think he's good enough to win, uh, but he's relentless. He just shows up with his run. More often than not, not good enough to win. I mean, he's been defeated by Dash Attack, Newgrange, Unoho, and now Cyberknife. Of that lot, Cyberknife seems like he is, you know, fairly good. So, no, I don't think Barbara Road can win the Kentucky Derby, but from a gambling standpoint, he certainly can be the kind of horse that finishes third or fourth, picks up the pieces late, and helps you cash a giant ticket. Uh, but then again, it goes back to the idea of what did Cyberknife run against? Was this visually, the way that he finished and extended and drew off, was it a product of him taking a giant step forward, or was it a product of him beating mm, some subpar company? As is the case, I say it time and time again, probably somewhere in the middle is the truth. Probably a combination of, yeah, he did take a step forward, and yeah, he did beat kind of a meh group. Barber Road, though, he's honest. He's going to come with his run more often than not. And more often than not, it's not quite good enough. Let's talk about the Philly, Secret Oath. Uh, thought it was a bit of a passive ride. If you just look at the buyers, she actually kind of ran her race. Slight step backward, but when you consider the run two back and the Martha Washington three back now, uh, she earned an 88. So that's not far off from what she ran in the Arkansas Derby. I tweeted it on Saturday after the races. Turn of foot to me is one of those... Maybe I'm going to sound like a jerk for saying this, but I, th I think it's a misused term, at least based on my definition. Turn of foot is what I see from turf horses, that when it's time to go, they actually pick up the pace. And in dirt races, it, it's not actually a turn of foot when you see a horse start picking off other runners. It's an optical illusion because everybody else is slowing down. So it's not that all of a sudden the dirt horse is driving by people, it's that they're just not tiring as badly as the other horses are. So it makes it look like they're going faster. Secret Oath, I think, is actually genuinely one of the rare instances where you've got a dirt horse that has a turn of foot. It makes me actually kind of fascinated to think about the possibility of what you could do on turf. Not going to happen today or tomorrow. But I, I think she's a, a real talent. I really do. I talk about running on the turns all the time. She does that better than probably any three-year-old right now. I mean, she consistently delivers that move from just inside the half-mile pole to the top of the lane, or depending on when you time it and they're running the honeybee, they waited until the quarter pole and you saw that turn of foot. Like, she genuinely can accelerate on the dirt as opposed to just slowing down slower than everyone else. I thought this was a fine effort. I thought it was a little bit of a passive ride from Contreras. And that's being a little bit nitpicky. But down the backside, I understand you don't want to get totally into a box. 
but I also don't know that you want to take her all the way back to last, even with the pace being as hot as it was. Having said that, she did have a beautiful setup. I mean, the pace was electric. And she could only muster a, a third place finish. I had someone tweet something to me, and I apologize for not knowing who it is off the top of my head. That they thought that perhaps she had distance limitations because she puts in these big runs and then kind of levels out. It's an interesting thought that I hadn't really considered. But when you think about her mom, her mom was not a distance specialist by any means. And yeah, her dad wanted to run all day long, but he was a bit of a freak of nature. Uh, perhaps there is something to the idea that she is more of a mile to, you know, mile and a 16th, Maybe that's sort of pushing the limits. Then you get out to a mile and eighth and you're really asking something. I think it's too early to, to definitively say anything about that. But it is something to keep in the back of your mind. If she runs, if she does something similar in the Kentucky Oaks, she puts in a big move and she just levels out. I think it is fair to wonder. Maybe distance isn't really going to be what her bread and butter is. Maybe she's going to be just, you know, an absolute monster seven eighths one turn mile you know the good news for her if that ends up being the case and i'm not saying that it is but just thinking if that ends up being the case you've always got a race like the acorn you've got the mother goose those are both one turn mile uh one's a one turn mile one's a mile on the 16th i believe both of them at belmont park that could you know theoretically work for her if that ends up being her game uh, and there were a number of mile in a 16th races for three-year-old fillies they may not be the bread and butter races but there are many options, many opportunities for her, if that ends up being the case, which I'm not sold it is just yet. Uh, the tough thing, though, with such an electric turn of foot, boy, it needs to be timed perfectly. Unless you're just far superior, which she has been against the girls in Arkansas. But we saw it against the boys, and... Look, if I'm going to sit here and, and praise her a lot, you also have to be honest. It wasn't like she was running up against the best three-year-old boys that there are. When you've got such an electric move, the timing has got to be ideal and you can't get her stopped. That That's a difficult position to be in at a short price from a gambling standpoint. So the Kentucky Oaks, we'll wait and see. But that suddenly is looking like it an extremely strong race if all the girls show up. If Echo Zulu goes, Kathleen O goes, Secret Oath goes, uh, one of the West Coast, you know, former Baffert horses, Adair Manor, I don't know if she was the one that got transferred or um, not Keeper of the Stars, it's a turf horse. Under the Stars, the filly that I like, the that feels like she's a proper router. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of quality as far as the girls are concerned this year. So, she's by no means a slam dunk in the Kentucky Oaks. From a talent standpoint, it's probably going to be a more difficult field than the Arkansas Derby was top to bottom. Perhaps things will unfold a little bit more favorably for her, but I'll tell you what, she had pace, but she got a little bit of a passive ride if I'm just splitting hairs. And she came with her run, but then she flattened out. Just things to consider for a horse that's going to be among the favorites. I don't think she'll be the favorite. I think she will be one of the favorites um, on the first Friday of May. I think it's going to be a fantastic race. And I, I thought she acquitted herself very well. Keep in mind, 
this race was more than twice as much from a purse standpoint than the fantasy was. She's already a grade stakes winner, so what the hell difference does another grade three make for her? Uh, she's a grade one placed runner now, which to me I think is more valuable than winning another grade three. And she showed that, you know what, she's not, she didn't get embarrassed in this race. We'll, we'll keep, we'll shelve the Preakness talk for, for after the Oaks. Uh, but I thought Secret Oath ran really well. Not well enough, but really well. The last one we'll touch on is Doppelganger, because I have no idea what you want to do with this race. Um, first things first, I don't think it's a reflection on Forbidden Kingdom at all. This is a very bizarre run from Doppelganger. He is much closer to the pace than he's ever been in his career. This is a horse that has never really shown great early foot. He's up there, I mean, I guess you could say pressuring 46-2. and two. Then it looks like he's going to finish last. And then I had to do a double take when I pulled up the, the chart and I'm looking at it. Cyberknife gets his final eighth in 13-18. Barbara Road, who is a confirmed closer, gets it in 12-97. Secret Oath, after she puts in that big middle move, she finishes in 13-35. The rest of the field is up over 13.19 for the final eighth. And Doppelganger finishes in 12-38. I mean, for almost, for the majority of the field, including Barbara Road. Well, if you want to include Barbara Road, he's nearly three lengths faster coming home. And he's nearly five lengths faster than the rest of the field for the final eighth of a mile. So he ran at the end. I don't know what happened on the turn, but th that, that to me is, is, that is as incomplete a performance as you're going to find. It wasn't an F. If I'm grading it, it's not an A by any means. It's not even a C. It's an INC. It's an incomplete. Because he was hot early, looked like he was going to be towed around late, and then finished like he jumped in at the quarter pole. I don't know what that was. And I certainly am not going to recommend betting him in his next race because I don't have any idea what you do with that. For him to be that close to a hot pace, look like he's coming to a stop, and then finish as if he just started running, I, I have no idea what you do with that. I don't know if the horse is good or bad. And when I say, you know what I mean, it's all relative. I don't know if he's grade one, or a 50 claimer. I couldn't tell you. Couldn't tell you. Doppelganger, probably the most puzzling performance of the weekend. Let me know what your thoughts are about the Arkansas Derby as a whole, the Arkansas path to Louisville, both for the boys and the girls. Uh, and someone help me with Doppelganger, because I, I, I don't know what you want to do with that. Uh, beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. Now, let's. I'm going to use this last little piece here before we talk, Masters to tie up a number of loose ends. We'll talk a little bit about the Jeff Ruby, talk about some of the other graded stakes action that happened over the weekend, and basically just open up the floor. If you had any other thoughts, horses, questions about any of the performances that we saw this past weekend, that's what the next one is going to be all about. I'm just going to burn through some opinions here. And again, if you have questions about any other horses that I may not briefly touch on for this segment, let me know beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. I don't know how I'm going to do it with all the racing going on next weekend, but at some point I'll just sort of like condense all of this. Maybe that'll be the week following next week's sort of recap because of all the races that we've got going on. We can kind of tie up some loose ends. Tis the bomb wins the Jeff Ruby stakes. He does so with a fast time. I don't know what you want to do with this horse. He has one on dirt before. I think he's a pretty talented horse. I have no idea if he's going to be able to handle the, the dirt and against that number of horses in the Kentucky Derby. 
94 buyer. I mean, he's not a hopeless long shot in there. He's a long shot, deservedly so. But I mean, he looks like he has ability, you know, do with him what you will. I I don't have a strong read on him one way or the other. Um, I think he is. I don't think he's nearly as good as Smile Happy, put it that way. So if you like this horse, I would think you have to love Smile Happy. And (laughs) with the caveat of saying, if Smile Happy runs like garbage on Saturday, then, you know, all bets are off. But um, of the McPeak three-year-olds, I mean, I think Smile Happy is much better than this horse. Find out in time. Um, As far as some of the other races are concerned, let's go to Gulfstream Park. Uh, The Ghost Sapper, Fearless Wins. I thought he looked really good. He didn't beat much in there just continues to sort of hammer home the idea that greatest honor, not that good. Big picture, just just not that good. Um, I know he's won big races in the past, but, I, you know, he's got some issues. Uh, Gufo wins the Pan Am. Thought it was an outstanding performance. The most professional I think he's looked thus far, the way that he finished was really good. No, he didn't beat superstars, but for his first start of the season... I thought that was a really promising effort for a horse that could end up being boss of those long-distance turf races this year. He really could be. Uh, Thought it was a really impressive performance. Did think it was interesting, though, and this is going to be a little bit of a rewind. Dubai World Cup night, Charlie Appleby made it clear that Yabir is coming to the States, and he's going to be coming here quite a bit this year. So any of those long-distance grass horses, assuming Yabir stays healthy, and again, I don't love him, but he ran really well in Dubai. If, if he's going to be coming over here, you're going to have to beat him. And we know what Applebee's record looks like in the States over the past, you know, 18 months or so. All things considered, I thought Gufo ran really, really well. Uh, Wayburn, I thought it was an exceptional race from him. 102 buyer, first start back going seven-eighths of a mile at a track that, based on his running style, it's probably not going to work for him. He wins comfortably, and you knew the way that they were betting him early on. I think he opened up the favorite. He consistently took money, and then at the end, by the time the gates broke, some of the other horses took a little bit more, and he shot up to 4-1. to one. I mean, he looked outstanding in that spot. I maintain he's always been a good horse. He's been an underrated horse. I think he's one, I've always thought he's a, a stayer, one that with his tactical speed, you get him out to a mile and a quarter, he could be very, very dangerous. But John Furlong, who is works over at NBC Sports, sharp handicapper, uh, he pointed it out on Twitter. He, he responded. He goes, you don't think he'd be better at one turn? He said, you might be right, because based on his PPs, that, that's what it would suggest. I thought from here, you try a race like the Ali Sheba going out to two turns. I know it's only a mile and the 16th, but then again, and you probably do need a, a race between now and a race like the Met Mile anyway, but I, I mean, he was really, really good on Saturday. I thought this was an impressive performance for a horse that, you know, I, I don't think he's going to be the one that comes to mind first for a lot of people for older horses, but, you know, Big picture. I, I thought that was a nice stepping stone. I think Wayburn's a legitimate, legitimate horse that you want to keep an eye on going forward. Uh, Kathleen O. She'll be the last one I'll talk about as far as the Gulfstream races are concerned. Spectacular. I know her lack of speed. That's going to be the most interesting part of the Kentucky Oaks. Not just that you've got talent on talent on talent, but some of your best horses are going to be coming from the back. Theoretically giving the leader in the clubhouse, I know she may not have been awesome at the fairgrounds two weeks ago, but that's going to make, that's always going to make Echo Zulu dangerous. That Kathleen O and Secret Oath, they're going to start well behind her. So you're going to need to hope that Echo Zulu runs the way that she did in Louisiana a couple weeks ago, if either of these girls is going to run over her. 
Because if she improves, there's probably going to be too much for these girls to do. But Kathleen Oat was spectacular. For her to continue to win the way that she has at Gulfstream Park, I think speaks volumes. For her to be as good as she is this early, when she's under Suge's care, speaks volumes. I mean, she's she's the nuts. I mean, she is good. 98 buyer. I mean, we're talking about a proper proper filly. She's probably the best three-year-old filly to come out of Florida. <sighs> Somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Dreaming of Julia? I mean, I... No, she didn't win by 16 lengths the way the Dreaming of Julia did, but given her running style, she may actually end up being the favorite. I don't think she will, but it'll probably be close. I thought she was spectacular in this spot. She deserves to be a short price the first Friday in May. Then we'll wrap up with a couple of thoughts just quickly as far as Oaklawn is concerned. Uh, Folsom defeats Cezanne. He looked like a solid horse. I don't think it was a brilliant performance by any stretch. I don't know that any of these horses are ones that I'm looking at thinking met mile that they're going to be, you know, right there with the life is good to the world and anybody else that is on that short list of big time runners. Um, I really like Law Professor going into it. He got into a world of trouble going onto the backside the first time. Don't hold. If you don't like him going forward, that's fine. But don't. It's not because of this race. This was just things didn't work out for him here. Uh, as far as the fantasy was concerned, Ugiri defeats uh, Beguine. They are both earn 86 buyers in a head bob. You know, they're nice fillies, but boy, they got a lot to find if they're going to be running with the Kathleenos, the Secretos, the, uh, the Echo Zulus of the world. I mean, those are just a handful that I've mentioned, and there are even more as far as talent is concerned. Venti Valentine. And there, there are many more quality three-year-old fillies that we're going to see over the next uh, week or so. So all around, that division is stacked. Really looking forward to that race. Uh, and we'll see how everything shakes down. Again, if there's anyone that I mentioned that you have thoughts on, let me know in the comments beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter. Uh, if there are any horses that I didn't talk about and you want thoughts on or you want to share your opinion, let me know again beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter. At Bernie or underscore Matt, it is probably my favorite week of the year. It is Master's Week. Bring my voice down a little bit. Channeling my inner... Jim Nance. It is Masters Week. I won't spend too much time. If you're someone who doesn't like golf, that's fine. You can turn off the pod now. But we'll wrap up with a little bit of Masters talk. So we get closer and closer. Is Tiger Woods really going to play? Sounds like it. Let's talk Masters. Going to wrap up this week's show with Masters talk. Tiger Woods is the story. I have no idea if he's going to play or not. Even if he does, it seems... Uh, it seems entirely illogical to think that he could be competitive but then again you know doubt him at your own risk i guess i won't be betting him i won't be using him if i play any kind of dfs stuff i just i can't do it i mean it would be like taking a horse in the breeders cup who is a horse for course off a year plus layoff i know de haas did what de haas did but that that's not normal i'm gonna give you a few names some reasons to like some of them some reasons not to like some of them. Uh, common theme is many of these guys have played well at tracks that are similar to Augusta National. Some of them have played very well at Augusta National itself. One of the most obvious ones, and I think he's going to have a good week. Uh, you, you would never be able to tell if he's high, low, sad, happy, whatever. But Dustin Johnson makes a lot of sense. I think he's warming up a little bit here. Uh, price is a little, little steep for my liking. I think he's 15 or 16 to one. Wouldn't surprise me if he's in the thick of things on Sunday. 
Um, I think if you're playing DFS, he feels like a guy that you could, you know, I don't want to say anchor your stuff around, but I'm expect I'd be stunned if he didn't play well. Put it that way. Uh, Max Homa is a name that I think makes a little bit of sense. Played very well at Riviera. We know he won that tournament last year. Um, he's played well at Kapalua in the past, which is a course that is very comparable to Augusta National. Um, and he only played in his first Masters last year. And typically, you know, you've heard from other people that are, you know, golf aficionados that you need some experience around Augusta to really be able to, to get settled in because of all the, the humps and bumps and slopes and the way that you can use the green steer advantages and things like that. So Homa at 66 to one to win, not crazy. Um, more intrigued with, well, I shouldn't even say this because the price bothers me a little bit, but plus 225, depending on where you're looking, uh, for a top 20 finish for Max Homa, I think that's not out of the realm of possibility. Um, given his history at the course, I think Adam Scott is an interesting play at 50 to 1 to win. Uh, he's plus 185 for a top 20. Tony Finau's form has been piss poor all season, uh, but he's played well at Augusta in the past. He's played well at Riviera in the past. Uh, 66 to win. 66 to win. 66 to 1 to win. Not terrible. Plus 185 for a top 20. Uh, Justin Rose is one I'm interested in and I'm probably going to be betting on. He's not my pick but I'll probably be playing him a little bit. He's 80 to one to win. And he's plus 250 to top 20. Um, I think I, I think there's a good chance that you see a, a fair version of Justin Rose here um, this weekend. Just, it feels like, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that he's a slam dunk by any stretch, but he's competed and been involved, been in the thick of things a number of times at Augusta in the past. He's he's too consistent or he's been too good throughout his career for me to think that he's got one major. And he does. He's only got the one U.S. Open. Uh, he lost in the playoff to Sergio at Augusta in the past. I think he's had a couple of the top fives as well. I think Justin Rose at that kind of price is somebody that perhaps you can give a look to. I guess he would be my second pick. Uh, my pick, though, I teased it a few weeks ago. I, the key number for Bubba Watson is going to be the first round. And the key round, is, the key number is 69, or basically sub-70. Since 2009, which I believe was the first time he played in the Masters, um, Watson has broken 70. Keep in mind, Augusta's par 72. So, I mean, you've you got to put together a decent round there. He's broken 70 in the first round on two occasions. And both times he did so, he won. I believe he shot 69 both times. He's competed there in the past. Well documented, the whole lefty sort of advantage that you could possibly have at Augusta. If you're a lefty that can move the ball particularly right to left, you know, for a right-handed player, you'd be hitting draws. But for lefties, it's just sort of a very natural kind of shot shape. Um, I He's played well enough this year. There have been moments that he's gone on runs and you think, okay, he's at least trending the right direction. He hasn't won in a while. He didn't win it all last year, but 80 to 1 to win and plus 250 to run in the top 20. I think Bubba Watson is a guy that you can keep an eye on this week that maybe he doesn't win, but I'm expecting him to compete. So he and Justin Rose are probably the two that I'm most interested in at the prices. I think Dustin Johnson of the more logical players is the one that I'd probably be most inclined to look at. John Rahm's putting is legitimately an issue at this point anyway for me to really get stuck into him. Rory McIlroy's short game, specifically his wedge play, 
That's another thing that's been well documented. It's been really, really bad for a long time, not just this year. Um, that's the thing that's kind of the hang up with him. Brooks Kepka, I do think there's some whiffs of trending the right direction. Uh, I loved him in match play. I thought he played really well out in Austin, and he just got beat by DJ. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, it is what it is. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. Um, so I think there are some some shorter numbers that you can certainly get involved with. Scotty Scheffler, you know, I know everybody's hot to trot for him right now, and he's the number one player in the world going into the event. I mean, I don't want to say, you know, prove it to me, but I just, I'm not sold right now for an event like this. Colin Morikawa's play has been just really, really wretched lately uh, for his caliber. Again, everything is relative. It's the same thing I talk about with the horses. When I say it's bad, well, the horse isn't actually, you know, a complete bum. The horse just may not be a grade one horse. Maybe it's a grade three. Um, Justin Thomas, another thing that people have talked about, kind of broken records, that until he does it in the majors, I can't, I can't make a case for him as the co-favorite right now. Cam Smith is interesting just because it feels like when he's on, you know, he's right there. He's already played well at Augusta in the past. He finished, I think, second the year that uh, DJ won when they played it in September, October, or November. November, I think. Beyond that, none of the none of the names or numbers really get me going. Jordan Spieth, you know, anything can happen with Spieth at Augusta, but I, I'm not sinking my teeth into 20 to 1. I already mentioned Morikawa. Cantlay's kind of feels like he's sliding under the radar a little bit at 20 to 1. Um, Zalatoris, I, until his... I feel more comfortable over my three-footers than I do him over a three-footer. And I'm not particularly comfortable over three-footers. So at 33 to one, no shot. Uh, and I say no shot, meaning I wouldn't back him at 33 to one. Um, Hideki apparently has a neck thing. I don't know that you want to get too tied into that. I always love Louis. We you all know. If anybody's new to the show, Louis Ustazen is my favorite player. I He's played well at Augusta in the past. He lost to Bubba when Bubba won one of his two uh, in that playoff. You know, I expect him to compete. I wouldn't stun me if he won, but I also wouldn't be surprised if he just put forth a, a solid top 15, top 20 kind of showing. I also wouldn't be surprised if he got, you know, just thrown out there. And maybe he doesn't make the cut. I mean, he's that kind of guy that he can be super hot, super cold. Beyond that, though, nothing really striking my fancy. And I definitely don't want any of the Tiger Woods action. I, I mean, it's an outrageous story that he's even involved in this thing. But um, it's always better when Tiger's playing. But no, from a from a gambling standpoint, no shot. Uh, my two plays, though, would be the two main plays would be Justin Rose. But my pick for the 2022 Masters is Bubba Watson to win. Let me know what your thoughts are about the Masters, about anything that we've talked about on the program this week. Beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter at Bernie or underscore Matt. If you're listening to this, you found this show somehow. But in case you are new to it and maybe you picked it up for the back half of the show, you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, and themoneypodcast.com. You can also listen over on YouTube search bar, Matt Bernie, your show. You'll get this episode along with the 109 prior. I am off to Stanford, Connecticut on Thursday. I have uh, helping out with... NBC Sports Edge. We're going to do Bet the Edge game time on Friday from Stanford. And then on Saturday, I will be at Aqueduct, part of the NBC Triple Cast, where we will have the Wood Memorial, the Bluegrass, and the Santa Anita Derby. So be sure to check us out there. I'm sure we start somewhere around 4 or 4.30 on Saturday, but be sure to check out whatever your local listings are. Uh, until next Monday, when I come back and recap all of this stuff. Uh, best of luck, however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. It's been episode 110 of the Matt Burnier Show.